Enterprise Digital Podcast with Ian Aitchison and Barclay Ray, navigating the ever-expanding service management maze. Well, hello, another episode of the Enterprise Digital Podcast. Delighted to be talking to you. I'm Barclay Ray and as ever, I am joined by the intrepid and irrepressible uh, Ian Aitchison. How are you doing, Ian? Hello. Yes, I'm doing very well. Thank you, Parky. Very well indeed. Well, you're going back to very well. A minute ago, you were awesome. <laughs> turning What's it down. Happened? Turning it down. It's just a good day. It's been a good day. Good. Well, I hope we can make it an even better day with the podcast uh, and our guest today. Before we do that, duty bound to ask you whether or not you have some trivia to kick us off today. Yeah, it would be bad of me if I did not. So I do have some trivia, you'll be pleased to hear, for all our lovely listeners. I know you you prefer the trivia section above all other parts of the podcast. We talk a lot about technology and IT and people working with technology. And recently, we've been talking quite a lot about experience. Um, So I'm going to ask you, Barclay, whereabouts in your body do you experience art? (laughs) Oh, dear, that's a terrible thing to ask a Scottish person. (laughs) um, we have a different definition of art Um, well cerebrally of course I have a degree in art history you may or may not know that and um, so I I have experienced it in many different ways and with the the assistance of many different wines and and other accoutrements but you're going to tell me it's somewhere really weird, like my toe or something. Well, I'm, I'm telling you, you can now look up and discover where in your body you experience different types of art-influenced emotion. Because Professor Laurie Numinmar from the Turku uh, University of Turku in Finland has recently published a study from 1,186 people, so that's quite a lot, who were shown different types of artwork, and they provided feedback on where it affected them uh, emotionally and in their body. And I won't go into detail because it's way no. too complicated, but I will say empathy, anger, and fear tend to be experienced everywhere in your body, whereas beauty, amazement, and effort are sensations felt mainly in the head when you look at art. In art. Well, we are <laughs> going to talk about experience. I'm not going to – I don't think we should get too much down and dirty into where people ex- experience technology but um let, let, let's try and move on from there one thing i will say is that it def- depends on the type of art if it's music for example then it's oh, this very, is vi- yeah this is visual art this is only looking at visual art that they were visual art. Okay. yeah you probably write on other types yeah absolutely yeah. there's also tactile things but yeah that's just getting a bit heavy and and i'm gonna get out of my depth very quickly let's move on and introduce our guests shall we Delighted, uh, finally, to welcome, who we've been doing and throwing for a little while, but um, we've got uh, Anthony Orr on today. Anthony, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Maybe not uh, as good as you guys, but uh, wonderful. <laughs> how, how do you experience art, Anthony? What's Do you, do you have a particular touch point? <laughs> that's, 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 that's real interesting. When you all were talking, I was thinking about how would I answer that question? And the way I would do it, I always talk about things from a physical, mental, and spiritual perspective. So I would say physically, sometimes you could touch things, but then at the end of the day, it connects to the mental, you know, and and, and what you're experiencing and how you feel with love, anger, just like I was mentioned earlier, and so forth. Then it could be a spiritual thing, depending on the type of art you're looking at, you can get this profound sense of, you know, 
some type of spiritual connection to, you know, the art and, and, and so forth. So it could be on all three levels. Very good. We don't have enough art. We don't have enough art in our podcast, Barkley. I think no. we should consciously introduce more <laughs> art. Absolutely. Well, when we talk about spiritual, that's when we ask you about the drinks later. So um, <laughs> spirits, we'll, we'll cover that. <laughs> Anthony, you've been a, you're one of those. We were just talking there. One of those people. I know you, you've been on the HDI top 25 list and so on. You've been around many years and I know you from BMC and, and other organizations in the past. Do you want to just give give us a quick, you know, potted history of where you've come from and and what you're doing now as well, just briefly. Uh yeah. I, well, I don't know who brief. you are. That's a, that's 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 a long history within my uh, career. But uh, we had the Axe Shannon version, which went on for about three hours. So <laughs> <laughs> keep it shorter than that. <laughs> okay, okay. I've I've been working in IT for a long time, over thirty years, doing a number of things, working in data centers actually in the, you know, on, on the floor doing things and then working for vendors, like you said, like BMC and other vendors and, and so forth. One of the things I'm, I guess I'm known for in the industry, I'm one of the ITIL authors uh, and I also written other content around other practices. And I'm also an examiner across multiple practices, DevOps, you know, Kaban and, and, and things like that. Uh, today, I work for a company called SDI Presence. It's a managed service provider, and there I'm director of ITSM, actually building ITSM practice and using uh, various technologies, including ServiceNow, to help customers be successful in, in a journey, especially as I uh, try to help them be more successful from a business perspective instead of just an IT perspective with the things that we do within the company. So that's quick and brief, probably a lot of other stuff, but if anybody wants to know, just look on LinkedIn and you see a lot of history there. It's all there on LinkedIn. I, I, interested. Uh, we were just chatting before about the SDI presence because obviously, this side of the pond, we have SDI as the Service Desk Institute and um, that association. Uh, do you get do people get confused about that at all, or or you get those questions sometimes? Yeah, especially when we go to conferences like HDI. Say SDI is that? I said no. We're a different company than that. We're not the the best practice you no know, company of, of of SDI doing service desk. Stuff. But we do do that, you know, mm -hmm. at the end of the day. But we're called SDI Presence. The Presence, uh, it's, uh, we've been around for like 25 years, and Presence was very important to be in front of your customers and have that, you know, wonderful relationship that you established. And the Presence is still sticking there because we really believe in having great relationships with our customers, like being partners. And what I say sometimes uh, is that the, the partnership we try to have with our customers is like a marriage. Not just a casual relationship, but we're in it together for the success of both parties at the end of the day. That's very good. And I, I sometimes say to people, you know, do you have an SLA with your partner? Do you have an SLA with your spouse or, or husband? <laughs> or what? Oh, careful. You know, careful. Yeah, I know. But I mean, <laughs> but the point is, it's the relationship that's important, isn't it? Not the not the SLA. But I mean, it's quite interesting because I, I was looking at it and, you know, the, the, that idea of local MSPs, I, I think is a good one. And we have some here as well that do that. But that idea of it not just being something distant, it's actually something where you can go quite close is interesting. Okay. Um, thank you for that. We're all introduced. Um, we'll get on and have a good conversation in a, in a second or so.
Right, Anthony. I mean, with all the experience that you've got, I mean, I, I know we've run into each other on, on a number of occasions, but that, that whole idea of the evolution of our industry and where it's gone and where it's come from and the different versions of frameworks and ITIL and all sorts of other things, there's, there's a lot of talk at the moment about experience and experience management and different types of experience management and so on. And we're taking that out. I mean, on this podcast, we're really trying to talk about how we really extend service management across the enterprise. What sort of things are you seeing in terms of what organizations, you know, without going into the tools or too much of the detail of that, but from the point of view of the demand for what organizations are looking for, do they do they come to an organization company like yours and say, right, well, we know that we want service management and we know we, we want it not just in IT, but HR and finance and all that sort of stuff as well. Or do you have to introduce that idea to them? They sort of know it. It's sort of been there because, you know, for a long time, we've always talked about there's no more IT projects, the more business projects are, are going on. But uh, organizations have been maturing to that discussion for over time and so forth, just like when we talk about uh, enterprise service management. That's not a term that we hear, you know, organizations. So I want you to help me with my ESM strategy. They say, I want you to help me with legal service management or field service management or HR service management. And they starting to do these things in silos based on, you know, the requests that they get in from their internal constituents and or stakeholders and say, hey, we need to sort of connect this. We need to automate more, which is what's actually going on. We're trying to increase automation and do things faster and high performing. So ESM comes into that flavor in, in those different uh, sectors. There's other things too, but uh, that's that's what I hear. I was even uh, talking with one of the Gardner analysts, I think it was about two or three months ago. I said, when your customers call up, do they ever use the term ESF? He says, no, most of them don't even know what it is, but they do say legal, HR, and, and so forth, that they're trying to connect the internal organization together. And I think with one of the books, I, I said, organizations should work like a, a team, like a sports team. You know, everybody plays their positions and everything else. And that's what they're trying to do. They can be more collaborative, more coordinating. So at the end of the day, they can be higher performing with how they're using technology to support these business, internal business outcomes that they want. And, and on that team, is IT always there first? Though? Is it possible to have the team without IT? So there's legal service management and there's financial service management and so on, whatever, and maybe HR, but not IT? Or is it all, you always have to have like the goalie, IT always need to be on the team? Uh, I would say no, because uh, when you really think about uh, modeling the service, sometimes IT is not a part of a service that you deliver. And you need to understand that where is IT not needed and where is IT needed at the end of the day? But usually IT sometimes tries to come and in, come into play. But what you may see sometimes when IT gets there, instead mm -hmm. of really getting the automation that IT's promising, it's more manual things with the people in the background, you know, that IT really didn't deliver the performance of what was needed. But maybe they did a little bit more workflow analysis and things like that. But IT was probably not needed. The bit that in interests me about that is is actually the engagement and sales process, if you like, as to who initiates that. And from the point of view of the industry, I suppose we have we have a challenge in the, in the sense that we kind of know that service management is is a wider field than just IT. But um, I mean, you're talking about service now. When they started really trying to push this, probably in the last over the last ten years, the challenge really was who did they sell it to? 
who do they go to? You know, who 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 would own that in an organization? Are you saying now that the organizations are coming to you and organizations like you and saying, We know we want to do this, we're not actually part of IT, but or we might include them, but we're coming as part of the corporate organization or the office of the CFO or something and, and coming in and looking for that. That's a great uh, 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 thought too, because uh, one of the things that I was just recently talking to one of our account managers about was the CFO, you know, and, and that CFO, you know, and how do we engage them from an ITSM perspective? And of course we have to understand what their wants and needs are. But then the other side of that question is that usually they don't know that they even have an IT platform or IT capabilities to, to do what they want, you know, at the end of the day to really connect with their needs well, from from that perspective. So IT may be an afterthought, but they're trying to accomplish something and more than likely they may be going through their daily activities without IT or using just the basic IT collaboration tools, email and stuff like that, which are slow and so forth when they, they probably in the back of their mind, they just know that's probably something else. So they can come to us and we can help and say, hey, you have a platform, you have this technology. Do you know the other capabilities within this platform and technology for actually achieving those results that you want? They probably say, no, what, what do you mean? And then we can go back to the ESM discussion and, and, and so forth, you know. But do they actually come to you and say, we want service management for HR, regardless of the platform and the, the tools, but you know, they, they, they know that they want to have that kind of joined up working for those departments? Yeah, the language is not service management for HR. For example, when you think about HR, we talk about joiners, movers, leavers, or onboarding, offboarding, people moving across the organization. That's what they ask for. For example, it's one company, one organization comes to us. They say, you know, we have a hard time with uh, hiring uh, new police officers. It takes us over six to eight months to get a new police officer in. And why? Because the the way that we do it, the workflows in the background are just so cumbersome and everything else, and they weren't using really their IT capabilities appropriately for automating the integrations with, with, with the platform and everything else so they, a person can join easy, go through background checks, and then move through the organization or leave appropriately and everything. And, and of course, you know, when, when I think about this, one of the things I used to do is uh, uh, manage the identity management suite of products, you know, and I go, yeah, this is a part of identity management, but they don't even call it, they just look at the outcome or the capability that they're really trying to get to really don't have the insight to how technology supports that. And that's where IT and sometimes need to come in too and help, you know. And IT then is the the juice, the lubrication, the enabling, the the automation you said a few times. A lot of the times IT becomes the automation that rapidly speeds up and transforms how other people do the work that they do. And in this case, we're talking about them delivering service value to people that receive the output of their work, whatever that function may be. Hmm. Are you seeing a change also around, and Barkley mentioned outcomes, are you seeing a change around what is perceived by those that are receiving the outcome of that activity, those that are the recipients of the service activity, the the end users, the customers, the employees, depending on what context you apply to it. Are you, are you continuing to see that getting better and better for those people doing their jobs? Uh, yes, I, I do see improvement, but I also see the improvement at a slow pace because okay. of this, because of, uh, I think uh, uh, IT and the business needs to collaborate more. That challenge is still there. 
and coordinate things and, and talk about their capabilities and what they can do. They even need to do uh, inventory of their current services with their customers, internal and external, and see how they can improve those capabilities. So one of the things I've always said, I say, you know, IT has a mind of its own. They go out and do a lot of stuff, but maybe not the right stuff. And then we look at what they did, then we go ask the customer and say, hey, how are you using this IT capability? Oh, I didn't even know that IT capability exists. So that's why I say, you know, that communication and collaboration needs to happen better between the business and IT. And if I think about that, uh, uh, too, just to go on a little tangent related to, you know, uh, best practices like I2 and so forth, one of the things I think we need to talk about more is, is, is that and how to achieve that with the workflows and the value chains and everything else that we talk about within those practices, really get closer to the business, which has been a discussion for over 10, 15 years, you know. There's an interesting uh, phrase often being used uh, related to experience and digital experience and related to service management, which is uh, digital adoption. This idea of the the support that's provided isn't just break fix, but it's also advising people how to work better doing their jobs. Don't do it that way. Do it this way. Don't save it there. Don't send it that way. We do it this way in the organization. You have to go here and here and here. And that that's all part of the experience of the employee trying to do their job, right? So is that... Ultimately, is that part of where service management is heading with automation and understanding the experience? Is it about guiding people to do their job better, be successful at their job? Yes, and I'm glad you brought that up because that, that's one of the key service offerings I'm, I'm really trying to bring to the market within the company I work for. They're actually doing you know, advisory services, so connecting business outcomes to what IT is doing and how to do that from a roadmap perspective based on business priorities and what the organization wants to do versus the individual business unit and then what they need to do. Those business units operation, they can still do what they do and, and they'll maintain and run business. But at the end of the day, that organization needs to come together, like I said, from a teaming perspective and make sure they're all focused on what what's the vision, mission, and goals of the organization with the things that, that they do and help in enabling higher performance, which we get a little bit farther into, you know, what we're talking about uh, a little bit earlier about the experience in doing experience management, but elevating that more up to customer success and helping their customers be more successful, which in turn helps with their success. By customer success, are we then talking about, if you like, and you mentioned things like value streams and so on, but actually all that's under the hood. It, it, it's the outcome, isn't it? You know, so we measure performance. We've been doing that for years. We're starting to measure experience and getting value from that at a number of different levels. Um, the outcome bit, the success bit, is still quite challenging. How, how, how would you simply define what you mean by customer success? Let's say we're just talking about internal IT serving internal um, users. What does customer success mean in, in, in that context? Okay, let me uh, do it this way. If I sort of look at a value chain of activities, let's say we go from underpinning contracts with external suppliers and uh, operational level agreements, which is sort of the heart of what IT does. We start to connect those to a service level agreements and so forth. So we understand response time, resolution, what the service desk person can do and everything else so we can make proper promises from an SLA perspective for service support and service delivery. Now that we sort of did that in the industry, we say, oh, 
You know, we've sort of been missing something, but it was always there, but we don't need to connect it a little bit more formally, which is experience management. Understand the sentiment of the uh, users and how they're experiencing the product. And sometimes we do this soon as uh, you get a, a service test ticket and, and, and once it's finished, you get a, a survey and they say, hey, how was everything? Now we can automate those things and say, what did they say and everything else? Is this customer happier and things like that? But at the end of the day, that interaction that one time does not mean the customer was successful really at the end of the day. So we want to move that up a little bit higher. And there's other things that I say we've been doing, but we still haven't connected the pieces like we should. Like for example, that's called zero moments of truth and first moment of truth and second moments of truth that customers have that make them want to be longtime customers and that the postings on social medias and the referrals that they do and the times of value and their patterns and behaviors as it relates to success. And then how we um, do that within our services itself and the capability. So uh, one of the things I, I think we don't do that much of, we look at our services and say, hey, customer, what value does this have to you? And as we listen to that value statement, we start looking at, you know, how are they using the service and how can we make things better and everything else or to how to make them more successful with the services that we deliver and even deliver better uh, services from other metric aspects. What's the churn rate with customers and so forth that we've been doing goal achievement tracking? What are the case studies and success stories and everything else versus just the experiences at the end of the day? I'm going to stop talking. I think we're we're getting into the th- the the point there about you know actually what is the what are the outcomes that are delivered by the technology and and, and in some cases that may just be for the person that's u- that's using it and you know do you take a call on wh- where you fit that into the sort of value picture is that just about you know that's our job is to get is to help them to do their job better. Or do we look at also what the organization is doing that they are working towards? You know, so it's making things or delivering things or facilitating payment or whatever it is, you know, getting, helping people, operating on people. It just, just those are the kind of outcome <clears throat> that I suppose, and you mentioned moments of truth, moments of truth is quite a big thing. And, and, and you know, again, we've talked about it for years, but what what is it really? Well, it's, it's the moment that, it's that point where you actually use the use the the service and and that's either successful or not. You know that's where we're kind of now talking about co creation of value, isn't it? It's yeah. not just it's not just we've just created something and it sits there and it's wonderful. It's actually when it's used and what it's used for. And my question, I suppose, from that beyond IT is, in some ways, is that easier to to identify with? HR and finance and so on, because it's been really always been really quite difficult with IT to get to, to to tease that out from people. They're either not interested or they don't know or they don't care. But if you're saying that business department, non-IT departments are now coming to you and, and saying, right, well, we want this. Is it easier for it, to have that conversation? Because it's a sort of conversation in English, not not in technology talk. <laughs> um. I think uh, when I have those conversations, it still takes a while for people to really understand it at the end of the day. For example, if I just talk a, a minute, you know, when I think about customer success, if I use, you know, it's like uh, an out-of-the-box way of thinking, I think about Maslow hierarchy of needs. And I get to the sort of the top of that model. It says self-actualization, you know, reaching potential, 
Am I helping my customers reach their potential at the end of the day? What does that mean? How do I define it with their behaviors and everything else and the things that they do? Like, like I said, there's lots of data out there, but we're sort of, we're not connecting the pieces to, together the right way. Like, just like, uh, I think today, sometimes we don't connect SLAs with OLAs properly. So the SLAs are really proper based on what the organization can do. So if we connect customer success metrics with customer experience metrics and, and so forth, I think we can get there better and explain, uh, we think sort of explain why this is important for longevity for that customer, retaining that customer and really helping them again, reach their potential with the services and the products that you deliver. First is just having a good experience, you know, or a moment of an experience, or even before they have that experience with the, uh, with the, like the first moment of truth, the zero moment of truth, what, can we do at the zero moment of truth to help get this customer and prove how we uh, have that relationship with that customer? So let me let me pick on a couple of points there. Firstly, you talked about actualization Maslow in the top of the, the hierarchy. And I think that's kind of connecting to what I said earlier about the goal is not something broken gets fixed or something needed gets delivered. The goal is that that person is more successful in their work, in their job. They, they are here in their work and they're more successful and their life is even better because their work life is enhanced by the tools and the technology and the processes and the interfaces rather than delayed and impacted and, and, and slow. I want to pick you up on something else we talked about there, which was the zero moment and something Barclay said, which was it's really hard to get that sentiment. No, it's hard to get that information from IT. It's really hard Sorry, for IT from people because they don't care because you, you resolve a, and you send them a survey and they don't complete a survey. But of course, to know that they are reaching that actualization, that they're successful in the job. It's, you don't know that just by asking them. You can't rely on that. You have to know what they're doing. You have to know what's going on. Is that zero moment of truth about knowing we're recording this in Zoom and I'm using a dodgy microphone and my audio's choppy and I'm not going to be contacting IT and creating a ticket, but you need to know that I'm having this problem use problem with a small p you know that i'm having this particular issue going on uh so that it can be fixed silently without impacting me in the middle of recording this podcast is that kind of where that's conversations yeah 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 it, it is and, and and what i'm also saying we're doing some of these things now but we're not connecting the pieces we're not creating the value chain between those things because for mm -hmm. example i think most people have experienced if they go out and do a google search then they go on Facebook. They say, well, why did this advertisement come up about these, you know, <laughs> pans? You know, that was sort of a zero moment, a truth moment before you even went to a vendor to look for some pans. They say, hey, you know, Anthony's interested in buying pans. You know, OK, let's give them some information, you know, and let's tell them about the experience that other people have had and so yeah. forth. So I could drive them to, to, to me. For our UK <laughs> listeners, pants. <laughs> Come on, Barclay. Trousers. 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 Or slacks. Or no, no, no. Or slacks slacks, slacks are probably better. Slacks yeah. are probably better. Okay. <laughs> but I do think that's a really interesting point. We joke about the advertising thing because we all know it and it's a bit irritating. But imagine if that was in the context of you were trying to do your job and the technology and the, the whole service system in the background understood what it was like for you to do that and was able to offer you advice and tips and was able to adjust it around you as you worked so that the barriers went away and the the productivity equivalent of the advert, that wouldn't be an advert, obviously it'd be something else, would be there for you 
and make you better and more successful at your job. I agree. And I think, uh, you know, one of the challenges I have sometimes, uh, some organizations, they want an IT strategy plan, hmm. you know, how they go and use the applications and everything else. And I asked the question, I said, what about your business services? How many business services do you have that are supported by IT? And what's your priority for actually doing things related to your business services? Now let's talk a little bit more deeper about this. What do your customers want? What's going on with your customers? How do we make your customers successful with the business service so we're just not doing anything? And are we following a really a strategy so that we're looking at, you know, how we're using our budgets for running the business, for growing the business, for innovation, and for fixing issues and, and so forth? Are we managing that correctly related to, you know, our overall business strategy or the advisory that I, I, I offer to those customers and say, hey, this is what you need to do to connect the pieces together. So you're actually doing things better for your customers. The reason why you're there, the reason why the, you the exist. real customers, the the real end the real customers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the real end customers. The reason why you exist. You know, one of the yeah. things I was just going to pick up on, just slight tangent, is because you're talking about working in the sort of managed <clears throat> service industry part, and, and related to what we've just been saying, I think there's one quite key issue that. It's still there, and it's simply this, is that when the people that buy managed services are generally IT people who maybe don't get the whole thing about the business and customer connection, and so they just buy what they think is right, you know, not deliberately, they're not trying to do a bad job, but the challenge quite often can be to go back to them and say, look, no, actually... Is that really what your organization wants, not just what you want? Particularly around about things like SLAs and you know transactional services. In this part of the world, I am seeing that changing. I do work with quite a lot of MSPs, and they are getting better at thinking about the bigger picture and the value stream side and all that kind of good stuff. Is that something that you're able to do in North America? Do you... Do, do you see the same change that's, that's moving away from it just being, well, we're IT guys and going to buy IT from another IT company and we're all happy together rather than it being about the business? Well, I, I see some of that, not a lot of that, but I still see a lot of the IT-focused stuff. Let's do IT. Let's try to make IT higher performing. But then then you get to you know that uh, thing we say sometimes, X to five wise. Why are you doing this? You know, And why are you doing that? So we can get up to the business level. And, and understand those type of things. And it's a, really a hard conversation with, with IT people. So you really, uh, like we were saying earlier, you have to bring that conversation up to the leadership team and everything else and do education and do things like we're doing now, this podcast. So if somebody listens to this, they may say, you know, man, I really have been IT focused at the end of the day on what I'm doing. And do I really know how I affect customers? Here's an example for you. I was speaking at an event in, in Denmark, and it was a bank. And uh, But before I got there, I, I just showed up on the plane and everything. I just got to talk to the CIO for a minute. And so one of the things I do when I'm talking to execs, I said, what do you care about? What do you want me to talk to your people about? I had a two-hour presentation, Mark. He says, well, I really don't have time to talk to you right now. But he says, I got over 200, 300 people in the room waiting for you. They're not working. They're here to listen to you, and, uh, and hopefully you do a good job. And that was it. I said, okay. So what did I do? I went in there. I talked to that bank. And instead of having an IT discussion, I had a business discussion. I said, well, I sort of started off. I said, I said, 
everybody sort of, do you know your value to society? Because, you know, people like Peter Drucker used to say, no organization should exist unless they have value to society. I said, this is where you need to think about your individual jobs and the, and the contributions that you make. I said, Oracle DBA, if I went to ask the Oracle DBA, because I used to be one, I said, what, no, what do you do? I said, well, I organize tables. I make sure the system... Uh, I said, but how does that support the business? Most of them don't know. So that's the IT quandary on how IT works to support the business services. One of the things I told them, I said, can you imagine if you become higher performing and you could deliver more loans to people for buying houses or supporting that some small businesses and stuff, how you can contribute to society with the things that you're doing underneath the covers from an IT perspective? I said, that's your value. And that's what, what I talked about for that, that two hours. They left there at the end of the day. They were very happy. I think those people, those IT people, they was like, wow, I do matter. I do have value. And that's one of the things we tried to get across to the employees. Was the CIO happy? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, the, the, at the end of it, now, I, here's a, maybe you'll laugh at this. Uh, the guy comes up to me, the, the, the uh, CIO, chief of staff, he says, he said, Anthony, he says, uh, did you notice we had cookies and lemonade and stuff in the back of the room? I said, yeah. He said, that was for a break. You spoke for two hours straight. <laughs> this was ex outstanding. It was more than we expected because we expected more of an IT-centric talk. And you gave us more of a business talk related to what you do and everything else and how you help organizations, which I found out the CIO was very happy. And he says, oh, good use of my time for my people and everything else that was motivating and inspiring and everything else. And that's what you want to do with IT staff to motivate and inspire them to really focus on business outcomes instead of just the things we do from an IT perspective, which uh, more than likely you both have probably had all, all those discussions and everything else that says, hey, let's make sure we're doing the right things for the business at the end of the day. How do we do that? Well, let me give you advisory. Let me help you with assessments. Let me have your roadmaps. Let me figure out you know, your constraints and your problems and opportunities you're trying to address and everything else, which we talk about, you know, from an ITO4 perspective and the best practices. That's that's um, an interesting point about the, the business value. That's a cliche now almost, isn't it, to talk about that so much. But the, the end result of what people are doing, and I often find myself talking to people about the impact of IT and often people forget that IT and all of the technology around improving IT, right? So service management technology, experience management technology, automation technology, endpoint management technology, security technology, all of this stuff, right? all of that stuff is improving patients' outcomes in hospitals. It's improving science and research. It's improving investigation. It's preventing wars. It's finding ways to solve climate change problems in the future it's it's changing the world and we often forget that making how we use technology easier is directly impacting those very very big sort of outcomes and it's kind of nice to think about that isn't it i mean we really have a difference on the future of the world well, we should know? we should make more about uh, i mean i I've, I've always thought that we don't do enough to really promote i mean we get excited about programming and coding and you know automation and ai and all sorts of cool shiny things but actually we do contribute we save lives we we exactly yeah we improve mm -hmm. quality we uh, i don't know i'm running out of words but we make the world better we make things better you know and, and i think it's it's the job of people like us i suppose to remind the industry that and and those that are working in it that they're not just there to kind of you know burn up time and you know fiddle around with technology they're there to uh improve our lot 
Yeah, but I think when you do that, you, you actually change the mindset of people to be going yeah. from just compliant to be compassionate about their jobs and they care more. They get feedback and openly and with trust and so forth. So we can actually improve mm -hmm. what we're doing related to the service we deliver and the products to society, you know? That's a great point to end from compliance to compassion. I think that's a, a really good uh, moving from transactional to, uh, to business and, and engagement people. But uh, compliance mm -hmm. to compassionate, let's, let's, let's leave it there. Thank you. That was a really good conversation there. We, we went around various parts of <laughs> IT and the enterprise and all sorts. Of, and then we came back to the fact that actually what we're doing is is really good stuff. It's 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 good for the world. It's good for people and, and good for the good for every, everything. Anthony, thank you for that. I mean, you mentioned LinkedIn earlier on. I mean, are, are there any other places that people can find you? Yeah, they can contact me direct. My email address is aor at sdipresence.com. Go through LinkedIn. That's, I always okay. listen to LinkedIn. People send me messages there. Of course, I'm on Facebook. That's more social stuff versus business type stuff. And and sure. then there's uh, Twitter, which is called X now, which is Anthony Orr. You can always send me stuff there, too, and I'm paying attention to those. I'm still on Twitter. I'm still calling it Twitter. <laughs> I'm just old-fashioned. Me, too. So now we get to the important part of the discussion. Ian, over to you. Yes, uh, the spiritual section, or maybe it's spirits, maybe wine, you know, this <laughs> Oh, you know the score, Anthony. What uh, what would be your drink on the podcast bar? Probably a red wine blend. So I like blended red wines. Blended red wines, yeah. Any ones in particular spring to mind? Any combination that you particularly? No, no, no. Uh, sometimes when I go to restaurants or people, I say, "Hey, you have a red blend." I look, oh yeah, that's perfect. You know, so mm. it's all good. I don't so, get then... really deep into the red wine and the wine stuff. But if yeah. I get a blend, I'm usually happy. <laughs> when you when you get the wine list and it's ordered by price, do you tend to look towards the lower end of the price scale? Or do you look in the middle of the price scale? Do you naturally look to the top of the price scale? How's your red wine selection? <laughs> I, I start with the lower end and I say, oh. what what wines are blended and what which one can I buy by the glass? Because I won't drink a whole bottle of wine I, and I don't really drink that much. But one glass is good enough of a nice Red plant. <laughs> so I started at the lower end of the price scale. Just to the end the conversation on looking at the wine list, um, I, Ian and I were in uh, with some people in, in, I think it was in a restaurant in, in Vegas, and Ian, Ian was paying that night. Remember, they gave you a, an iPad with the with the uh, the wine list. And you actually dropped it when you saw the prices. <laughs> and it was, <laughs> it was like, I don't want to press any of those buttons. Like, <laughs> Never seen anything like it. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. Thank you very much. I don't know if we got around. So the the, the topic at the start was was a, a little bit obscure as usual, wasn't it? The um, what was your trivia again? Experiencing art, how we experience. How we art. experience. Yeah. yeah. I suppose art is there to make the world better so that we can maybe tie them up that way but um, thank you yes. thank you Anthony but you know, again. Art, art, art is in the eye of the beholder you know <laughs> it is and so is experience I mean you know somebody might really like what's happening to them and they might go no I don't want this I want to I want to use a, a chainsaw and a, and a I knew you all were talking about that just finish a painting that I'm giving to my brother because I paint sometimes I mm -hmm. would have showed that to you but 
Uh, never mind. Another time. We have a few uh, artists in, in, in our community. Uh, April Allen is, is very prolific. So is Phyllis, okay. Phyllis Drucker. She paints very well. And um, Peter Brooks and, and others. We, we have a quite an active community on the artist side. Okay, thank you very much. We'll see you next time on the Enterprise Digital Podcast.